Hello, fellow Dungeon Masters. Welcome to the Knights and Nerds podcast. This is Tim speaking, and I want to say thanks very much for listening to this. Today we are going behind the screen. It is just me talking to just you about the State of the God's Eye campaign and a couple of challenges that I feel like I am encountering right now. If you're unfamiliar with these uh, types of episodes, uh, this is just me talking about sort of like stuff that's happened, stuff that uh, that I'm planning, and some, you know, what I'm planning to do about it. So this will be packed full of spoilers. So if you don't want the actual like progression of the campaign spoiled for you, uh, you know, skip over these types of episodes, you know, come to them later if you want. Um, but otherwise, if you're listening from here on out, I mean, all is fair game. So I'm going to be talking about some things that have happened recently and uh, also some things that have happened in episodes that I've uh, recorded that haven't come out yet. I uh, won't get into like crazy amount of detail on those. Uh, but yeah, let's let's get into it. So where are we in the God's Eye campaign? Uh, it is episode 15 just came out. The party has fought some aberrations. The dream that they're in has reset three times. Um, and what real progress have they made? Um, I mean, in terms of just game progress, they're level five. They have one less piece of Starfall now than they did a short while ago. So a minor setback there. Next episode 16, uh, there will be a brief... And I mean very brief appearance of the quiet to present a new challenge for them. So so that's something that I've introduced. Uh, but the the challenge is like in terms of how have they gotten closer to any like completing any main objective. I feel like their their characters are really not that much closer to finding out about what's going on. They've maybe by the time episode 20 rolls around, we'll know a little bit more about maybe the consequences of their actions. But I feel like I maybe need to give them more. So that's something that I have to work on. So let's start by identifying some problems. The Starfall fetch quests format here, where Starfall comes down, they got to go get it, like prevent the bad guys from getting it. Uh, that's pretty cut and dry, straightforward kind of stuff. I can only do that so many times before it stops getting interesting, before it gets actually like boring for them. So, so that's an issue is that, uh, you know, how many more times will the dream reset before can the dream keep resetting while still advancing them to complete, uh, you know, something relating to the main objective like if if they get 10 more pieces of starfall are they any closer to completing the main objective like as long as they as long as they have it the bad guys are just going to keep coming after them so that's problem number one is the repetition can only go on for so long and i have to figure out a way to get them either out of the loop eventually you know, not in the not too distant future, or to change the nature of the loop in such a way that that their actions have 
really more substantial like consequences carrying over from one dream to the next. So that's that's issue number one. Issue number two that I didn't really anticipate was or didn't really think through enough was that when the dream resets, it eliminates a very important part of every D&D game is the the relationships that you build with NPCs. And that's like not a small thing. They have now in some of the uh, DM group chats and maybe some stuff on the Discord, there have been suggestions that, you know, NPCs that they kill or wrong in some way will remember them in sort of this way like hey haven't i met you somewhere like i don't like your face like the when the dream resets if they have wronged or slighted or done something like for example in the silent past they sort of played a trick on rune to get past her and and so that is something that Rune would not like. So if they ever went back to that area, Rune may not remember them for doing that specific act, but she would have a predisposition to dislike the party. Now, that is a minor consequence, but, you know, they keep doing that. Uh, It adds up. It adds up to a whole lot of people not liking you, which, you know, could get interesting. I don't know how long it would take to get there, but... On the opposite side of that, you have NPCs that they either have a neutral relationship with or maybe even a positive one that when the dream resets, like what happens to that? Is it interesting for them or worthwhile for them to go and reforge that relationship like to start over? I would think probably not. Now, in the case of like Orla, the... She had no more halfling. I can't remember. But they broke it. They hid in her basement. She had the secret room. And she had a little goodie box in her secret room that had a whole bunch of, well, the players never found this out, but it it was a whole bunch of treasure and a couple of minor magic items. Uh, I think it was a couple of spell scrolls that I put in there. So, like, some good resources. Now, they may use that knowledge in the future sometime soon like we need to finance something we know where there's a stash of like of potentially gold i'm sure that they even though they don't know specifically what's in it i'm sure that they would know that there's something valuable in there so they could use that but at the same time like the forming bonds with npcs and factions is part of like the fundamental way that you get your players to connect through their characters to the world that they're in. And that, I feel, is almost wholly missing. And I did not anticipate that as a, as a problem that I'd have to deal with. So I have to incorporate factions and relationships that they can maintain in between dreams, like across various iterations of the dreams. Um, And the way that I'm going to do that is to, I guess, one way that I sort of have already done this uh, in episode 16 and more so in 17, 18 that you'll hear, 
a faction called the Arcane Acolytes. And what they are is an underground group of, um, I don't know, magic enthusiasts may not be the best term, but basically what they are is they are for making uh, magic more widespread and available to people outside of the ruling class. So right now it's really only the lords and people in the lords inner circle that have access to magic and magic items and things like that. Um, And even then it's very limited. Um, And the acolytes are of the mindset that magic has the ability to greatly improve the lives of everyday people. And so they want to, uh, they're really antagonistic towards uh, the ruling class to the various lords, and they would actively steal from them uh, when they can. And so um, there's a an opportunity for them to work alongside the party in getting God's eye, in keeping it from out of the wrong hands. So there's a common interest there. And the, I guess, one aspect of this group is that many of them are, many of them are clerics and paladins, you know, worshiping deities of various magical uh, domains, magic and knowledge domains. Now, why is this important? Um, I think that the, having members of this group have access to magic on their own by way of their connection to deities, I can make the excuse to have them remember the party in some limited ways when the dream resets. Maybe they pray, maybe they do some some form of limited uh, divination or clairvoyance. The leader of this group, by way of communicating with uh, his deity has already gleaned that there's some weird stuff going on and he knows that the party can help him somehow he he's less he doesn't really know what to do about like the weird stuff that's going on but he wants to engage the party's help to get god's eye so and then obviously the party has an interest there in terms of getting some some backup and this uh members of this group can craft they can make magic items with the god's eye which is uh something like a a skill that they will barter uh for like with the party for you know the party doing some things for them perhaps carrying out side missions obviously like the party brings back a piece of god's eye they can craft with it but they'll take part of it for themselves for their own purposes you know whether that's equipping other members of the faction or spreading that power out diluting it and giving it to you know the common folk people who need it people who are sick you know infusing some kind of magical dust into a a field to prevent a whole crop from failing i don't know stuff like that um another faction or or area where I could bring in NPCs from uh, that would maybe be not impacted by the dreams constantly resetting would be Eladrin from the Feywild. You know, incorporating maybe some characters from Shai's backstory uh, is something that I would also like to do. And 
you know, that would give another connection to another part of the world. So, you know, sort of grow, grow the world, maybe give them the idea that they can go into the Feywild. Uh, they've already talked about it. I'm surprised they really haven't done it yet. So that's challenge number two. And it's a pretty hefty one. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to work on that. Like the, I know as players that they will enjoy combat. Like if I keep putting some semi-interesting opportunities in front of them for, for them to fight stuff, they'll be, they'll be happy all day. But in terms of like creating a compelling narrative for them to navigate, solving this sort of NPC question is going to be pretty crucial. So if they craft, I mean, here's, here's a, a, the thing. One, one answer of like, you know, they can craft stuff with the starfall so that it's just not hanging around for them to, for, for it to get stolen from them. Uh, so that's, that's one possible thing that they can uh, do with this, you know, new faction that they're going to befriend in the very immediate future kind of immediately gives me the question of like, what do they do while this crafting is happening? And downtime is something that I don't think really translates well into a podcast, but maybe some side missions. Training, I don't know. Listen, if anyone listening has made any uh, downtime activities that are satisfying and would be interesting to listen to, you let me know. Anyways, problem number three is kind of connected to problem number one. Uh, problem number one being this, you know, how how long can I keep this loop going of like, Starfall comes down, party goes to get it, keeps it away from the bad guys, do it again. So my third problem is that I I need to more effectively guide them towards the various dilemmas. Uh, I've really whole, only had like a vague idea of what the dilemmas are so far. So I really need to be like concrete with those ideas so that I can actually like measure my progress in getting the players towards those. So I've really got to figure that out. Now, to give you an idea, um, I think I said it in one of the earliest behind the screen episodes for this campaign is that I did not have as much pre-planned as I did for the last campaign, which I think is still not a bad way to go because I've I've planned stuff for a session where I'm sure that they were like the tower episode number 14, planned all this stuff for them to go through this tower as it collapses. And I thought it was like really cool and cinematic with various challenges along the way that they each could have a very unique approach to, you know, contributing and using their powers to to solve these little obstacles. And they went right out the window. The party went out the window, and so did my planning. But with, with the first campaign, uh, even before we started playing, I knew, like, I had the idea of the final encounter in my head. Now, the final encounter never turned out the way that I originally thought it would, uh, would, but from the start, I knew sort of where 
I wanted things to go. And so I knew what to put in front of them. It sounds like railroading, but really it's not. Like as the DM, you're choosing what to place in front of your players, right? It's up to them how they interact with it. And the fact that the final encounter happened the way that it did uh, in the first campaign uh, just goes to show you that, uh, yeah, they were not on rails. And you can listen to the last two behind-the-screens episodes from uh, campaign one just to see how wrong I was in terms of what to expect. That's kind of a beside the point. The, the point that I was trying to make is I don't have that really crystal clear idea of where I want things to end up. The clearest idea that I have right now, uh, obviously, they need to fight a beholder at some point. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe they kill it at sleep. Is that... I don't know if that's satisfying. Maybe they fight a dream version of it and it's like a lower challenge rating because it's what, challenge rating 13, 14? The clearest thing that I have in my head or that I have had envisioned is the dilemma of with the party in the Feywild and with Gutterbird's patron wanting to use a piece of God's eye to essentially give him a foothold in the Feywild, have Gutterbird make the choice of, hey, obey your patron and get a reward, maybe his wife back, or disobey the patron to stop a very evil thing from happening and causing a lot of bad for a lot of people. Now, in my mind, the I'm hoping that he will make the choice for the greater good and therefore break his pact. But in doing so, we'll be given the option to take up a new pact, basically almost in the same moment uh, of becoming a warlock of the Archfey. I think that would be really cool to suddenly have his his powers change and, you know, in, in such a crucial moment for him to just transform. I don't want to force that, but I would like, I would like to bring the uh, party to that point where there is that dilemma. Now for Thaddeus, uh, I posted about this in the uh, Discord and the uh, Dungeon Master group on Facebook. Uh, a dilemma for Thaddeus would be to basically forgive his nemesis, Bryce Baylock. So in the near future, uh, when they go after the next piece of God's eye, it's going to be sort of a mountain trek. And I am very much looking forward to incorporating some frost giants. I'm just going to take a look to see what CR frost giants are. I think they're five. Frost CR8. Holy shit. But anyways, they're going to be heading up into the mountains and Bryce and some of the gray Aladrin will be waiting for them there. And they're basically saying like, hey, this is as far as we've made it. There are some things up here that we can't deal with. Maybe for the time being, we can put our shit aside and team up and that way we can deal with it. With our combined strength, we can we might be able to get past these frost giants and get what we want. 
So let's get past the frost giants because we can't do it on our own. And then once all the frost giants are gone, then our shit is back on, basically. Uh, and I really need to start hinting at the eventual turn of Bryce is that, so yeah, why would Thaddeus forgive his nemesis? So I am kind of conflicted about this one too. Like it's a dilemma for me in real life as to whether or not to do this because uh, is it satisfying? Like would it be more satisfying to have Thaddeus and Bryce like in an epic showdown going blow for blow where they're both just bloodied wrecks using up all their powers and for one character to claim victory in a just brutal fight. I'm sure that would be satisfying, but would it be interesting? Would it be more interesting if Bryce at some point said, I've made this deal with this entity, the red sun and the red stars. Oh, by the way, I don't know if I've ever mentioned that. Like, the red sun and the red stars, uh, I just took from like the image of the death tyrant in the monster manual. Uh, it's the beholder after it's become an undead, not a zombie beholder, but a full-on undead version of itself where its eye is red and then like the other eyes from its various eye stalks are just kind of like floating around in this constellation. That That's... I don't know if I ever explicitly stated that before, but that's where that comes from. So Bryce has made this pact of his own with the master because he believes that he will be rewarded and given great power. But the longer he stays in the master's service, the more he gets an idea of really what the world is going to become if the master succeeds. And it is starting to horrify him. And he's having second thoughts. And maybe also, with Eldon being basically disintegrated, I don't know why I said basically, he got full-on disintegrated in episode 15. And he's not coming back, like that's permanent. Maybe that is is the turn for Bryce, seeing his companion reduced to nothingness for his not even disobedience, just for displeasing the master. Maybe Bryce took that a little bit too personally. I never really thought how, like, what the relationship between Bryce and Eldon was. Maybe they were, like, maybe they were best buds, and that was just too much for him. Maybe Bryce, maybe Bryce could, like, stomach all the undead and seeing the world turn to some kind of dark shadow of itself. In any case, the the whole idea of serving this entity, serving the Beholder, uh, has is starting to lose its luster for Bryce, and so he wants a way out. And he really only sees one way, and that's enlisting the help of the party. So during this team-up, and I, ho- uh, I hope that they team up, I don't think Thaddeus would actually just outright kill Bryce and then be stuck fighting the Frost Giant. Maybe that will happen. I hope it doesn't happen, but maybe it will. I kind of think that... Oh, fuck. I kind of think Matt's just going to kill Bryce, like, first opportunity he gets. So I'm going to have to plan for that, what happens then. If that happens, then they're just kind of stuck, aren't they? They've got to sneak past the Frost Giants instead of fighting them. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess actions have consequences, right? Anyways. Why would Thaddeus agree to 
work with Bryce at all. My my thought there is like Bryce can give information on where the beholder is, what like how close they are to waking it up, what can be done to stop it, what are its weaknesses. So it's it would be getting a lot of big benefits in exchange for Thaddeus having you know a monumental character moment. Like he is the oath of vengeance, and he'd be would he be an oath breaker at that point? Would he go back on his word? Would he double cross Bryce? Take all the benefits and then kill him at the end anyways? I don't know. I think Bryce would need to have like Bryce would obviously suspect that that might be the case. So he would have an insurance policy. And the insurance policy is something that was a you know very subtly hinted at in episode one. That the Screaming Skull Mace consumes the souls of its victims. And that mace was used to kill Thaddeus's whole village, including his family. And so in Bryce's back pocket, he's, you know, at the end of this, I'll show you how to, you know, break the magic of this mace and therefore, like, release the souls of all these people like your family thaddeus hasn't been at rest for all these years they've been stuck inside this magic skull and they will never know peace but they can and i'll tell you how after it's done after we deal with the beholder i think that would be pretty compelling and here's another problem though I've introduced this this idea that the Beholder is semi-conscious of what its minions are up to. It killed Eldon because he was talking too much. So the Beholder was cognizant in some way of Eldon being very close to, to giving out information that would have been damaging to the Beholder. So how do I deal with that when, like, how do I deal with Bryce trying to team up with the party wouldn't he instantly be atomized so i think what i'm going to do there is like bryce has found some starfall i think he would be savvy enough to keep some pieces and create maybe some trinkets that block scrying or magical spying and the way that he justifies that if the beholders like uh in a dream state asking, you know, why, what is this that you're doing? Well, I have to protect myself from the party. Thaddeus is a paladin. He may know a way to commune with his God to get information on me, what I'm doing. So Bryce is saying, I need this to protect myself from the party. Like they're getting more powerful as time goes on. But he creates one and then creates a second. And the second one that he creates, he's going to basically reverse pickpocket, slip it onto one of the party members so that they also have that protection. Now, what about Chai? That one I still haven't really figured out. Chai's dilemma. I mean, her identity is like rooted in her service to the Ladrin court, keeping the human realm safe. I would love some some ideas. I mean, I, I so I here's one. Here's one. I had alluded previously to this idea that 
maybe the Eladrin were responsible for the original, like the cataclysm that ended the reign of the old king, old King Vilsen, who had united all of mankind under one leader. He had a, an immense amount of magical power, but it was not stable and so couldn't control it. But was it not stable or did the Eladrin look at unified mankind and say, that's not good for us? Because if there's one thing mankind does, it's expand. And they're going to expand into places that they shouldn't or that we don't want them to, i.e. the Feywild. And so a divided humanity equals more safety for the Fey, specifically for the Eladrin. I can't remember what exactly I had said in the last uh, Behind the Screen episode. Uh, the the ruling Fey, there's Serial, who's sort of locked away. And then there's Serial's sister, who locked her away. Serial wanted basically to, I think, to basically eradicate humankind, maybe subjugate them, because she thought that they were a threat. And the current ruler of the Saffron family of the uh, of the Eladrin court didn't want to go to war with mankind and and but at the you know after the fact that Serial was taken care of realized that oh yeah she had a point humanity is dangerous under certain conditions and one of those things is like having a united man uh, mankind uh, eventually they'll get this idea of like where how can we amass more power how where you know. What other frontiers can we explore? It's only a matter of time before they turn their eyes towards the Feywild. And even if they hadn't known about the Feywild at that point, it would only be a matter of time before they found it. And so if there's a repeat of this, if there's a repeat of consolidated power, wouldn't wouldn't the Eladrin court act the same way again? And who's going to be the the new threat of mankind, it's going to be Thaddeus and Gutterbird. Once they get to like level seven or eight, they're going to start to be targets basically to the Eladrin. They're saying, you know what? These are, these are very capable heroes who could very well turn themselves into new rulers. They're level five right now, like in episode 15, they're level five. But they keep going, like they're going to start to gain some notoriety. And even if the dreams reset, like, doesn't it make sense that the great deeds that they have done sort of carry over in some capacity to the new dream? Like, they're not just nobodies. It would make sense for the, for some kind of notoriety to follow them around. And so then the dilemma for Chai is going to be, choose between your Eladrin home or your human companions. Well, that's what I have so far. If anyone has like any ideas or suggestions, or if you think that these are bad ideas, I'd really like to know. Uh, that is what I have so far. Uh, something else, I guess. The idea of destroying God's eye. Uh, that's something that's come up at least once. It will probably come up again, and I'm not super sure how to approach it. I think if they figure it out, here's what I think. 
I would like for this new faction that they're going to meet, the Arcane Acolytes. I already spoke about them. I think it would be awesome if the Arcane Acolytes would work with the party to figure out how to destroy it. Now, I've got to kind of figure out in my head how the Acolytes justify doing that. Uh, They're all about harnessing magic to help people. It doesn't make sense for them to take God's eye and destroy it. I mean, maybe if maybe in a pinch if they were like, yeah, we have a lot of people after us right now. There's no time to do anything useful with this. We have to destroy it. Now, if that happens, I would have to say that like if the if the Aladrin court found out that somebody discovered this ability, it would be very bad, I think for the Aladrin court because they use God's eye as well. Like they've taken a whole bunch of magic items off off of the uh, human rulers as sort of a disarmament. You'll remember that from some of the backstory, some of the lore. But they don't not want God's eye. They want it too, you know, for whatever the hell they do in the Feywild with it. I'm sure I can come up with something good. So having the ability to destroy that is a huge problem because if that knowledge gets widespread, then anytime somebody finds God's eye or somebody gets to it first, will they keep it or will they destroy it? If it's a source of chaos in the world, more and more people would want to be like, you know what, let's get this out of here. We don't want to have anything to do with this magic period. And so if the Eladrin find out about this development, they could send some assassins after this NPC. And so that would be an interesting development because I'm sure the party, well, of course, yeah, the party would fight these assassins, probably intervene. Let's assume that they prevail and stop them from killing the important NPCs. What is Chai going to do? Like that's that's a that's a very big plot hook right there. There are killers after somebody that we're working with, and they're Aladrin, but they're not the Gray Aladrin. Where did they come from? Anyways, uh, that's all I've got for now. You know what's weird is that even after all of this. I don't know how long this is going to end up being, but I've I've been talking uh, like the raw recording time is now exceeding 45 minutes. So the weird thing is like, I don't feel any more organized or confident now that I've, I've really articulated everything that I'm thinking. I hope that changes. I really do. But like I said, um, if you have any suggestions or feedback uh, I would not underestimate how helpful I find people's thoughts in Discord and in the Dungeon Master Facebook group. Or even if you just want to shoot me a direct message and say, hey, here's what I think you should do. Uh, I'm not really great. i got to say, I'm not really great at, you know, carrying on a prolonged dialogue really in any sort of online uh, forum like Discord or Facebook. So... My my responses are are never as as engaging and like conducive to you know a, a larger exchange of ideas as I would like. So if if anyone has like ever posted in the Facebook group, like oh yeah, Tim Tim gave me some terse response. Uh, I I really would like to know how to 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 do that better 
<laughs> to be honest. It's not it's no fault of, of anyone in the group. I really appreciate anyone who posts uh, ideas of, of any kind, whether they're just like one sentence things or if you put in like, you know, a couple paragraphs as as many of you had. Uh, I The fault is with me. I am not great at communicating on Facebook and I'm getting worse at it because my free time to do things like this is shrinking. Anyways, sorry. There's my little there's my little uh, rant about the uh, my inability to engage with people online. There it is. But that aside, I do want to say thanks very much for listening. Uh, we'll see how things turn out. 